The On the Job series on the Alley on the Run show is brought to you by Tracksmith. Go to tracksmith.com slash on the run and use code on the run 15 for 15% off your first Tracksmith purchase. Welcome to the Alley on the Run show. I'm your host, Allie Feller, and I'm so excited to have you here for the sixth episode in the seven-part On The Job series. We're down to the final two episodes. I've loved this series, and I hope that you have too. So what's it all about? Well, every week I've been introducing you to remarkable women who have cool, unique, exciting jobs. We learn about how these women got into their respective fields, what their days are really like, and why they're so passionate about what they do. And all these women are runners, so we learn how they make it all work on the job and on the run. Here's what we've covered so far. Archaeology, orthopedic surgery, Netflix, being a pilot, social work. So you know what we need to do now? We need to see our name in lights, or rather, Amanda Laverne's name in lights. Amanda Laverne is a Broadway actress, singer, and dancer. Her Great White Way credits include Annie and Grease, and she spent more than a decade performing in the Radio City Christmas Spectacular. She was Mrs. Claus. Offstage, Amanda is a 307 marathoner and 124 half marathoner, and she's a running coach. She's one of the kindest, most upbeat, positive people I know, and she gave so much of that in this episode. She talks about the realities of making it on Broadway and beyond, the uncertainty, the thick skin you need to be able to walk into and out of an audition room, and what it's really like when the curtain rises during your Broadway debut. Oh, and uh, I got her to sing for us. This episode's a bit on the longer side compared to the others, but some of the very best stuff comes at the very end. So please join me in welcoming Amanda Laverne to the Alley on the Run show. Amanda, I feel like I've literally been waiting my whole life to get to have this conversation and record it. You are one of my favorite people on the planet. Thank you so much for being here for the On the Job series on the Alley on the Run show. I am so excited. Yay. And you know what makes me happy? My last run that I went for before all of this started that was in Central Park, (laughs) I was with you. I know. It was Kismet on a random Saturday morning. Yeah, that sounds about right. All I know is I made you sing. I made you sing Wicked while we ran. You sang um, Defying Gravity while we I ran. I did. So delightful. I did. All right. I, so, I drew some stairs, but. As you should, though. It was amazing. And <laughs> and that ties into what you do. So we start every episode here with a nice, easy warm-up. All I need from you is to tell everyone who you are, where you're from, and what you do. Uh, I'm Amanda Lee Laverne. I'm originally from Texas, but New Yorker now for 15 years. Oh my God. And I am a Broadway performer. Yeah, you are, which explains singing. I mean, anyone can sing Defying Gravity on the run, but most people can't actually make it sound good. (laughs) So it's all about the stamina. And you know what I'm going to do before we even get into all the good stuff. And once we start, you're going to be doing most of the talking and maybe the singing. But I feel like I want to start this off by telling everyone a little story about you, which is that we met through the internet because, of course, we did. And that you're like part of the reason that my daughter is named Annie because you were in the Broadway show Annie in 2013 when I was at such a low point in my life. I was so sick 
And you asked young Taylor, who was playing mm-hmm. Annie at the time, to sing The Sun Will Come Out Tomorrow. And she sang it and you recorded it and you sent me the video of her singing. It is still on my desktop on my oh. computer. I listened to that every single day while I was sick until I got better. And now my daughter is named Annie. So I love it. So I hope that people listening understand that like you brought so much magic and joy into my life at the time that I needed it most. And I'm so grateful for that. And it's such a testament to your character and who you are with that. I just want everyone to know that I love you so much. Um, I also like to ask people on this, on these uh, episodes of the, on the job series, what is the pop culture equivalent to what you do? And it's interesting to ask that to the orthopedic surgeons and the archaeologists. For you, I feel like there's a lot because we see a lot of Broadway performers. But what is the best pop culture representation of what you do? Is it Smash? Is it something else? What do you think? Oh, I I couldn't really deal with Smash. Why not? Uh, I loved it. I don't know. Maybe... I, I saw I definitely saw I think the first and second episode and then I, I had to just kind of let it go. I don't know if it just resonated. Uh, it's a little it's a little smash. It's a little glee. It's a little um, what's that new show with the playlist? It's no, like it's extraordinary playlist. It's a little that where you know there are thoughts in my head that just, are in song or it's very hard to go through a day without making a song reference while I'm cleaning or cooking or running or having a conversation. So it's kind of an amalgamation. I think the pretty, the pretty version of it is smash. Okay. Well, Uh, let's go back to young Amanda. Did you always know that this was what you wanted to do? Was this young Amanda's dream? This was young Amanda's dream. When I was in second grade, we did a, I'm class of 2000 when I graduated and we did like a class of 2000 time capsule and we had a newspaper that we wrote in all of our second grade wisdom. And I, we had to write what we wanted to be. And next to Amanda Laverne said a Broadway singer, dancer, actress. I had never seen a Broadway show. I had never been out of the tiny town I'm from. I had never seen a stage play or a musical except for uh, the VHSs of Singing in the Rain and 42nd Street and all the R&H stuff. So I've never wanted to be anything other than a Broadway performer. All right. So I want pretty much every detail of the road to making that happen, which is where did it start? What was your first audition? Did you have to convince your parents this is a good idea? And how did you start to put that dream into motion? My, uh, I went, they have this thing called Broadway Theater Project, and they probably still have it. But when I was in college, my first semester, uh, it was a huge deal. And Ryan King um, was a part of it. Ben Vereen was a part of it huge Broadway names. And it was kind of like a musical theater boot camp. Well, for someone who'd never done musical theater, uh, it was extremely intimidating. And I got there and I, I really struggled because a lot of people knew all these actors names and they had seen all these incredible shows. And I had been to New York once on my senior trip with my mom and my sister. And I remember calling my mother and I was I was just desperately sad because I just couldn't fit in and I didn't know what people were talking about. And my mom said, Amanda, you're not there to get a job. You're there to learn. And these were, it was, you know, two weeks 
and you're there, you're in class from eight in the morning till six at night and it's dance class, it's vocals, it's, it's just ran the gamut of everything. And I took what my mom said to heart and I thought, you know what? Yeah. So great. So I took a bunch of voice lessons, which at the time was the thing I was the least experienced with. And, um, and they, they were bringing the Broadway company of 42nd Street to Russia. It was going to be the first time they ever did a, an American musical in English by an American company in Russia. So they offered a lot of the contracts to the Broadway performers, and many of them turned it down. And so they needed to fill these spots with a bunch of kids who were willing to go and work for $200 a week <clears throat> doing a Broadway musical. And um, one of the the one of the casting directors was also for this particular production was also on the board or on the teaching committee at Broadway theater project. So he held auditions for tappers. And of course, everyone becomes a tapper the day that they say they need tappers. And they had us all line up and there were about 300 of us at this particular camp. And I didn't have a headshot. I didn't have a resume. So I wrote on a piece of notebook paper, Amanda Laverne, blue leotard and my parents' uh, home number and my cell phone number. And that's what I turned in for my first audition. And they made us do rolling shuffles across the stage one by one. And it went from 300 to 30. And then it whittled down again. And then I had to sing, which was the first time I had to ever sing. And I sang, I have confidence. And I was shaking like a leaf. And after that, they had they whittled the 300 down to five. And then I called my mom and I said, mom, I had an audition today and it went really well. And I made it to the end. And she goes, Oh, well, you know, that's, that's great, Amanda. That's really good. I said, yeah, didn't think anything of it. Went back to Texas. This was the summer. I went back to Texas. A few weeks later, I got a call that I was going to be on a plane to Moscow because I made the production of 42nd Street with the Broadway company. In so, the <laughs> so this was your second time in New York, your first audition, 300 people, and you get the job. Well, I was in Broadway Theater Project as in Florida. So they flew the, they flew the New York casting director and the associate choreographer, so Randy Skinner's gotcha. associate, down to Florida, and they held that audition. So I wasn't, I had only been to New York once by this time. So this was my first professional, like big professional audition, but yes. All right. So let's talk about that because like you said, you were a tapper, but that, that was your first time singing. So you grow up with this dream to be a Broadway star. What training up until that point had you done? What was your dance background? What did you have a singing background? Had you taken acting classes? What was your, I guess, schooling like to that point? Yeah, so where I'm from in Southeast Texas is basically Friday Night Lights. It is football and sports and cheerleading. So, uh, but I danced, my mom danced uh, growing up. So she put me into dancing and I fell in love with it. And then of course, growing up watching Singing in the Rain in 42nd Street, I wanted to be Kathy Selden. I wanted to be Debbie Reynolds. And so as soon as I could get tap shoes on, I got tap shoes on. I was like three or four and I, I danced growing up. I was in class constantly and I competed and did all of that. 
but then when I got into high school, I was a cheerleader. So I was, it was not that my focus shifted, but it, it spread a little bit wider. And then, um, but because there weren't a ton of options for singing, that just kind of fell by the wayside. And, but I took theater class and I really enjoyed it, but there just wasn't a lot of focus on it in that particular area because it didn't get a lot of funding with school. Um, but I just knew that that was what I wanted to do. And then I went to college. I auditioned for the musical theater department in Sam at Sam Houston State, which is in Huntsville. And I was there physically for a year. And then I got the rest of my degree on correspondence, taking everything because I started working. So, yeah. <laughs> okay. So you booked that job. You go to Russia. Was it everything that you had dreamed of? It was. I, I honestly, if I, I feel like if I would have done that now, I would have left within a week of being there. Uh, but I, I have never felt like I was in the right place more than I did at that time, which is crazy because trying to find a winter coat in Southeast Texas in August is <laughs> not possible. But I was like, oh, I'll get a, I'll get a coat when I get there. And I got a coat when I got there and it was really before, like, it was before iPhones, it, you know, it was 2002, so I had my, you know, flip phone, which doesn't work there, and then the producers gave us phones so we could use it, but they didn't really work because there wasn't really internet, and, but honestly, and no one spoke the language, you know, I put post-it notes on everything in my little apartment, they put us in a hotel that doubled as an apartment, it was all very strange, um, again, making my tiny little measly money, but it didn't matter. It just didn't matter to me. And I was working with these people who had been on Broadway and had been on national tours. And it was just a masterclass of learning how to be a professional in, in a situation where there was absolutely nothing familiar. So because we were the only, we were kind of like on our own bubble with each other because we, we all spoke English and everyone else didn't it, we all became really close and, you know, but we were there during, uh, the Nordost theater hostage seas when the Chechnya rebels came in. So we were evacuated from our theater and people just like bought tickets and flew home immediately. And my mom called and she said, you know, Amanda, let's get you home. And I said, mom, I am doing a musical. I am not flying home. <laughs> Priorities. Yeah. Yeah. You know, I had a, I had, I, they gave me a solo on Sunnyside. So I basically thought I was Celine Dion. It just didn't matter. You know, um, I wasn't going home and jeopardizing my Sunnyside solo in 42nd street. Wow. <laughs> Your mom must have been thrilled. She was, well, she actually came. My, my mom, my aunt and my sister flew from Houston to Moscow for Christmas. They came up for uh, two weeks over the Christmas holidays. So they got to, they got to uh, witness the joys of Moscow in December. Where did they get their winter coats? Um, they got them. It, well, it was a little easier to buy a winter coat in December. Oh, in yeah, time. true. <laughs> um, but they, I think my sister ended up waiting and getting a long one when she got to Russia. Uh, because like, you know, the little bomber coats, they don't care if it's <laughs> negative 40. No, you need this full sleeping bag. Yes. Yes. Okay. So all of this on paper and the way that you tell it sounds very dreamy. Like 
nice Texas girl, grows up with dreams of being on Broadway, goes to her first audition, books the job, lives abroad, gets the solo. Like, it all sounds very wonderful and dreamy, which is great. Mm-hmm. Let's talk about what happens next, because a big part of being on Broadway, being an actor in any feel, you know, in TV movies is, is there this constant worry of when does this job end and what is my next job? It, it is a, it is constant. It is one of those things where, especially when I was getting into the business, I could never really appreciate the work I was in because I couldn't, I couldn't let go of the fact that I knew the contract was going to end at, you know, in a week, in two months or whatever, I just knew it was going to end. So I was constant, like you'd get the gig and going, yes, that's great. Okay. What am I going to do afterwards? And so it was, it's really hard to actually take a moment and appreciate the fact that that's why you worked really hard was to get that show in the first place. So there's, there is definitely a, a constant of fear of going what's next as I've gotten older, I've kind of, and I've worked a little bit more, I, I definitely have, a, I, I definitely set aside time during contracts where I go, this is where your focus is. If you're focused on what's happening down the road, once the show ends, the audience isn't going to get your full attention and what they deserve to see when they come there. Cause they don't, they don't care that my show's closing in a, in a week. They don't care that I'm out of a job in a month. Um, it is the nature of the beast. So ultimately what I have to do is every time you go to the theater, it's it's my job to make sure that all of that stays out of the stage door. And my focus becomes what I can do in that two and a half hours that someone is in an audience. And that's that's kind of where my focus goes. But you come out of it, you know, and you've got people who I have friends that always have gigs lined up. I've never been blessed I have always had to army crawl through audition season and I'm okay with that. It's just part of my journey, but it is really difficult to see and not to compare the fact that there are other people who know exactly what they're doing for the rest of the year because they they're going to be in this theater and this theater and this theater, or they know every choreographer on Broadway and they get to, they don't have to audition. They just get put in shows, but you know, at, at the end of the day, it's everybody, you know, you stay in your own lane. <laughs> it's everybody's journey is going to be significantly different, but no, it is, it is not, it is not pretty most of the time. <laughs> so just like everyone's journey is going to be different. I know that everyone would have a different response to this question, which is how much of making it on Broadway is talent, how much is hard work and how much is who, you know, so <clears throat> I would say they're all pretty equal. However, with the world of social media, it is hard to get in the door now, even if you have the talent. It's hard to get into into the door to show that talent because you don't have X and, you know, I couldn't get into an off-Broadway show because I didn't have enough social media followers. Even though I had three Broadway credits and a world premiere and national tours, I couldn't get into an audition for an off-Broadway show. So there's that. But at the end of the day, when those opportunities do arrive, if you're not prepared and if you're not ready and not in not not coming from a desperate place, it's you still have to have. I like to think you still have to have the talent. Now, I think some people would respond differently with that. But I think if you it take you have to know someone to get in the door. 
And then, but you also have to be prepared and talented and studied and have crafted an art to where when you finally get those opportunities and preparation meets opportunity. And I think if, as long as you can control what, how you're ready for an audition, you can control if you study, you can control if you know the material, if you're educated in what other productions the director has done and producers have produced, so you kind of start to kind of inform yourself when you go in the room exactly what you should have prepared and ready to go. And instead of going in going, I think I can be who you want me to be, you go in with the uh, with the personality and the attitude of going, this is what I am, this is what I've created, and I can be directed, but this is what I'm bringing to the table. And that comes with crafting your art, essentially. So talk to me about having thick skin and being able to deal with rejection. Do you remember the first time that you auditioned for something and didn't get the part, didn't make the first cut, whatever it was? Do you remember kind of having gone into it by getting your first job? Usually we hear about all the rejections first. It's the opposite for you. You booked your very first job, not to say that there were rejections to follow, but every, right. every actor at some point doesn't get the job. So um, what did that look like for you? It, um, I can't remember the first time cause they all, they all just hurt and, you know, some hurt more than others. If it's a, a big show, uh, you know, it, it can be embarrassing, especially if you get far down the road into the casting process and then, you know, other people start knowing that you're in for it. And then people go, Hey, have you heard, have you heard? And there's a little bit of ego that comes with, you know, being, being turned down. But I think for, for me, the stuff that has hurt the most is a role that I feel that I really identify with and that I that makes sense to me, that, that incorporates me as a singer and a dancer and an actor, but also incorporates me as an athlete and the stamina that I can bring to a role like that. Um, I, my biggest struggle was for years I was cast as an understudy. And so I, because I have so much dance experience, essentially what an understudy is, is I'm cast in the show. I'm in the entire production in the ensemble, but I also know the role of the leading lady. And that kind of defined my career for years. And eventually it just wasn't enough. And so I started turning down roles that, were ensemble roles covering. And as soon as I started doing that, my work weeks went from working year round constantly for 10 years to working, you know, 10, 15 weeks out of the year. But it was work that I actually truly loved doing versus me just going into work. Uh, so as soon as I made that call, I think the no's were were bigger and they hurt a little bit more, but it definitely was, I feel for me, it's worth the risk of doing because the yeses are so much more fulfilling now than me just taking a job so I can say I'm working. I'm doing work that I'm proud of that I feel like I'm creatively growing and I'm, and I'm reaching people and I'm connecting to people in those theaters uh, versus, and so I feel like that's kind of what those no's now when I'm in for things like that, that happen, they cut a little deep. But, you know, at the end of the day, as long as I can go in and walk out of an audition room and say, I did exactly what I wanted to do. I was prepared. I knew what I was doing. I had fun in there. 
that's where I put my weight. And eventually, eventually the dice is going to come back to me and it's going to, it's going to go my way. How often do the no's come with feedback and how often is it just, no, sorry, you're not what we're looking for? Um, usually there's not even a no. It's usually just, you just don't hear from them. Oh, cool. Cool, cool, cool. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. So you can, you can, and they'll send you, they'll send you, you know, I've gone in for an audition where they send you 40, 50 pages of material to prepare and it's songs that you have to get a coaching on or, you know, cause it's, it's a new musical or, um, and scenes and, you, you go through, you study and you go to these auditions and you get maybe called back a couple times and in the room, you might get some direction, sometimes not. It's just, thanks so much. And then you leave and, you know, and then you'll be paired with other people to read and you're thinking, oh my God, this is, this is, this is it. Like, you know, <laughs> this is finally going to happen. And then, um, you know, two days later, you're emailing, I'm emailing my agent going, hey, is there any word for um, that audition? And they're like, no. I was like, cool. 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 <laughs> and then there's a big press release and you go, oh, yeah. She oh, got weird right. that that's not my name. Okay. Right, right. So I guess I didn't get it. Okay. <laughs> that's good to know. <laughs> I'm glad that you mentioned an agent because I'm curious. Walk us through the actual process of becoming a Broadway actress. Is step one just showing up to auditions? How do you find out about them? Is step one trying to get an agent? Can you kind of break down what the, uh, basically a how-to guide to becoming a Broadway star? Yes. Um, well, I'm not necessarily just Broadway, but any, all theaters hold auditions. Um, they have open auditions if you're not in the union because Actors' Equity is a one of the Broadway unions or is the Broadway union. Um, so they have open calls. So if you're non-union, you can go to those. They're usually 800,000 people long waiting to sing or dance. Um, or you can, they have equity, equity auditions. So if you're a union member, you have access to those. So those are, they just get posted online. When I started, they were on backstage, the newspaper. And um, so you find out about those, you go, I would wake up, I'd wake up about two thirty, three o'clock in the morning. I'd pack my stuff for the day. I'd go and sit outside of Pearl Studios, Ripley Greer, Actors Equity Building in the dark of night and with my thermos of coffee and sit and wait for about four hours for the building to open. And then I'd go and sit and wait for them to see if they were going to see non-union people, if they were. Sometimes I'd get to audition. Sometimes I'd be there for nine hours and they say, no, we're not seeing anybody. And that would be that. Uh, so there, those are like regular open auditions and equity. You can sign up and get a slot. And then, then they also have what's called agent appointments. And so your agent submits for that and you'll get like, we would love to see Amanda for the role of X, Y, and Z at Pearl Studios at 315 on Thursday. And so they'll send you all of that information. So those are agent appointments. I got my first agent when I went and took a class and uh, he, he and I really hit it off. And I worked with him for, gosh, about seven or eight years before we kind of went our separate ways. Um, but you don't have to have an agent to to be uh, successful, you know, to get into the door. But now that, you know, the landscape of auditioning is shifting because of social media, um, they definitely can go to bat for you and they'll be the ones that discuss, 
money and, you know, travel arrangements and making sure I can bring my dog with me on contracts. And all of that stuff happens behind closed doors for me. Like I'm not quite privy to that. I just tell my agent what I need to make sure happens. Or if I've got a wedding I have to go to in the middle of a contract, I need to make sure he negotiates those days off for me. Um, but yeah, so that's kind of the agent's role. And so they'll get, they get a huge ton of um, audition notices and they submit their clients that fit roles from all these different theaters. So I could have four auditions in a day for four different theaters. And one audition could be for something like Rock of Ages. And the next one is for Oklahoma. And the next one is for 42nd Street. So I go down with a huge suitcase of clothes and dance shoes and books and music. And, you know, this audition asked me to prepare you know, 30 pages of material. This audition asked me to prepare 15. This one asked me to just bring whatever I love to sing. And I show up with all of that stuff and just kind of swap hats throughout the day, depending on which room I'm in. So, yeah. Um, and how do you get into the union? Theaters can... Theaters will offer, there's a couple ways. Theaters will offer to give you a union card if you audition as a non-union member and certain theater houses are are equipped to give their union card or give you your union card. You can also, they also have what's called EMC points, which is equity membership. And you get, I don't know how many it is, but you have to work a certain number of weeks in theaters that will offer EMC. So then you, once you get, 50 EMC points you can you have the option to join the union if you belong to one of the sister unions like uh, AGVA which is Radio City or SAG which is film and TV you can buy into Actors Equity there's a couple different ways I got mine doing Thoroughly Modern Millie at a dinner theater in Ohio (laughs) so I worked for I think it was seven weeks long. I worked for five weeks as non-union. And I got my union card the last two weeks. So that was something I negotiated into my contract. All right. Let's talk about your first official Broadway role. What was it? I made my debut in Greece, actually, uh, in 2008. I They had an audition. They were looking for an immediate uh medical replacement for five weeks for Chacha de Gregorio, who covered uh, Rizzo and Marty. And then they were also auditioning people to be what they call a partial swing. So every night the role only had to do beauty school dropout, but she covered, uh, Sandy and Patty. So they were auditioning for two different tracks. I was called in for cha-cha, which I, wasn't a hundred percent sure that I was right for, but you don't, you know, (laughs) you don't go, no, thanks. I don't want to go in for a Broadway show. So I went in and it was two very different (laughs) sides of the room. You had all these girls in like poodle skirts and blonde. And then you had all the cha-chas, which were in like basically like sexy Sandy outfits and big hoop earrings. And, um, I was kind of, I fell a little in the middle And uh, so we danced first and then we left and then they asked me to come in and sing the music because they gave me, they gave me Freddie, my love, and they gave me uh, worst things I could do to learn. And they gave me two scenes for each character. And so I went in and I sang worst things and I sang Freddie, my love. And then the casting director looked at me and she goes, do you know Hopelessly Devoted? (laughs) I was like, do I know Hopelessly Devoted? Of course I know Hopelessly (laughs) Devoted. 
And uh, she goes, do you need to hold the paper? And I said, I, I don't think so. I think I'll be okay. And um, so I sang, hopelessly devoted. She was like, okay, all right. Hmm, great, okay. And I was like, oh, okay. And then I left. And um, I was actually volunteering at the uh, stuffing envelopes and stuff at the Alzheimer's Association on the Upper East Side. And I went to, I went to go volunteer. And as I was sitting there, my agent called and said, hey, do you want to start rehearsals tomorrow for Grease on Broadway? And I said, what? He goes, so instead of them hiring two people, they're going to hire you and you're going to do all of it. <laughs> so the first five weeks, I was Cha-Cha de Gregorio covering Rizzo and Frenchie. And then when the original cha-cha came back from medical leave. I moved over to the partial swing position covering Sandy and Patty. All right. couple <laughs> follow-ups there. Let's talk about, that's amazing that you got thrown into it like that. And I love that story. Let's talk about making your Broadway debut that first night. What did it feel like in the hours before the curtain went up? I, I just remember they, I, they have what's called a put in. And so basically the whole cast shows up in the afternoon and you do a run of the show. You were the only one who I was the only one in costume. Everybody else was there. And you, so you get to practice essentially a full run of the show, but you're the only one in all these costumes and wigs and everyone else is just in their day wear. And, uh, I remember, I remember feeling really prepared and oddly calm but um, I, I also remember thinking it doesn't feel different because it's just a theater. Like, it's weird because you think it's going to ha you have these, these dreams of what being on Broadway is going to feel like. And you think it's going to feel a certain way. But that's the beauty of theater is that it, it can exist anywhere in any city, in any any place in the world and it's magical. So for me, I found a lot of comfort in the fact that it did just feel like a theater. And I also had a lot of castmates who just were, you know, they were like, what do you need? And I thought, Oh my God, this is awesome. You know, everyone was kind of part of me was freaked out that everyone was focused on me. And then the other half of me was very calm because I knew that if something went wrong, everyone was focused on me and I would, they would be able to pick up the slack. Uh, so yeah, I, and then I, my best friend and roommate at the time uh, came to opening night. My mom was there, and uh, we went next door and had Italian food. <laughs> <laughs> at which Times Square Italian restaurant? The one right next to the Brooks Atkinson, which is Trey Calori. Okay, yum. All right, yeah. so I think that oftentimes people who are in the theater, in the arts, forget that there's like a secret language that everyone uses. So can you explain for everyone listening, we're using terms like um, the put in, the partial understudy, the swing. Can you explain the difference between being a swing and an understudy? And what is it like? I think we all think that, oh, you're learning a musical. So the whole cast is there and you all learn it from the very beginning. That's not the case, like, especially maybe for a brand new show, but for a show that already exists, you're the only one learning yes. it at that time. So can you sort of explain that process and break down some of those terms for us? Yeah. So I was originally hired as cha-cha, um, but then as a, also a swing. And so a swing is basically someone who 
is either in the ensemble who does, has their own track every single night in the show, but also covers other, uh, other roles, other ensemble roles, or you have an offstage swing, which is they are at the theater every single night for the show, but they're not in the show. And so if one of their eight tracks that they follow, eight people that they follow in the ensemble um, is out sick or is on for someone else or whatever, they go on for that. So I had to learn, I learned my track. So my whole run of the show top to bottom by myself with a dance captain and they come in a studio and they'll tape out they'll tape out like a smaller version of the stage. So, you know, you know, they're going, okay, so when you walk in here, you're walking in wing two and you're going to see a, you know, a sofa that's going to be pushed on from stage, right. And you're going to dance around the sofa, but like, we're just going to pretend that that's here. And then you're going to go, you know, it's just, it's, it's very much make believe because you don't have, you don't have the set, you don't have the costume pieces, you don't have the props when you're learning the show. Um, so that's what a swing is. A swing is not in the show normally, on a regular day basis. An understudy is someone who is in the ensemble and has their show that they do eight times a week. They have their own set of costumes, their own props, their own track, which is what we call like my version of the show. But then as an understudy, you also learn the principles or the leads, um, the main people, you learn their stuff. So you learn their dialogue, their music, their harmonies, you learn where all of their blocking, their entrances, their exits, all their props, you learn their, what they, if they have to move set pieces, if, as far as like, I remember in Annie, I covered Grace and I had to learn, you know, the doors and stuff, the doorography of going in and out of Hannigan's office. And so you, that you're responsible for that. So I would do my show in the ensemble every single night. And then when the Grace was out, I would step in for that. And then my swing would go in for me as an ensemble member. Uh, so that's what a swing is. And then there's all, I mean, that's what an understudy is. And then there's also what's called a standby, which is a standby in big shows like Evita or Wicked, for instance, there is a, a woman there that does nothing during the show. She's strictly there in case Alphaba, something happens to Alphaba, whether she gets sick, whether she can't go on or is injured in the middle of a show. She, that's her whole role is just to be there to cover that one big star. So that's a standby. So there's standby swings and understudies. And I've done everything. I have not been a standby, but I've been a swing and an understudy. Quick break to talk about our amazing sponsor for the On the Job series, Tracksmith. For the last few weeks, I've talked all about my favorite Tracksmith items to wear. So today I want to tell you about my favorite Tracksmith products that aren't clothes. Now, if you remember all the way back to episode five of the Alley on the Run show, way at the beginning, more than three full years ago, you may remember my guest, Alice Saunders, the creator of the brand Forest Bound. Alice and I grew up together in New Hampshire, and she makes the most amazing bags. And she has a collaboration with Tracksmith. It is seriously my dream collaboration. I would say I never leave home without my camp tote, but let's be honest, I never leave home, period, these days. When I do, though, it is with my camp tote. It is the perfect bag. It's a limited edition bag from the Forest Bound Tracksmith collaboration, and I love it and recommend it to everyone. I also have the Forest Bound Tracksmith Dop Kit, which to me is a cool term for like a catch-all 
I've used my little dop kit to stash makeup and toiletries when I'm traveling, and right now I'm using it to hold all my favorite pens and highlighters for my quarantine correspondence. My other favorite is the Varsity Runner's Cap. Who doesn't love a cute classic beanie? It's warm enough for cool days on the run, but light enough that you can wear it all spring to hide all these horrible hair days because if you're like me, every day right now is a bad hair day. I could go on, but of course, if you can't decide on something right now or you want to give the gift of Tracksmith to someone but you're not sure what they might want, you can always get a Tracksmith gift card online. It's a great way to support this wonderful business, especially during tough times. You can buy now and cash in later. So let's get you a discount on all that, shall we? Whether you need some spring running gear or you just want to treat yourself or someone you love to something nice, go to tracksmith.com slash on the run and use code on the run 15 at checkout. You'll get 15% off your first Tracksmith order. That's tracksmith.com slash on the run using code on the run 15 for 15% off. Happy shopping. And let's get back to Amanda Laverne. So when you're an understudy, where's the line between hey, I really, not that you ever want something bad to happen to someone in your cast, but mm-hmm. let's be honest, when you're an understudy, you might only get to go on if the lead is sick or if yes. they are hurt or obviously if they have planned time off. But how do you cope with that emotional side of being an understudy and kind of wanting that lead role? That's why I had to stop because it, I was I stopped enjoying being there in the first place. Um, at first it was great because it, especially when I first got started, because I, I, I could not have handled the pressure of carrying a show at the time. And so to, there is, there's definitely mixed emotions. There's some people that are so happy to be understudies and they love their show and they like to be able to go on and have that, their like glimmer of, of stardom for a show. And then they, you know, but to, you know, everything has, its own weight. So being, being in the ensemble, you, uh, you have your regular eight shows. It might be a little bit more physically demanding as far as dance is concerned. And as far as managing, you know, five different characters within a show, because you change depending on the set of, of the story. But there is, um, there are just, there are people who love being understudies so they don't have to carry the weight, but they get, they kind of get the taste of it and then they can go back um, and then there's some that are that struggle a little bit more with it, and uh, they let it know. They let it. They let it be known, you know. But it, at the end of the day, it's all just it's work. And so, like with any job, I would assume is that if if you're not if you're not happy, you shouldn't be doing it. <laughs> but it's it's heightened in the theater world because we are all in such close quarters, and it's an emotional business anyway and it's an emotional most most musicals have some sort of emotional arc so you're already invested in that and then you throw on your own personal feelings and things can get a little a little sensitive I think is a good way to describe it (laughs) sensitive sensitive uh what about when a show is ending or when you decide to leave for with Greece for example when did that end for you? Was it your decision? Was the show closing? How did that play out? The show, so they have the first uh, Sunday in January is usually a very dark day on Broadway because that's usually when shows close. If they're not, if they don't have a ton of lucrative 
future ticket purchases because January and February in show business is quiet on Broadway. The tourists are home. People aren't spending money. It's after Christmas. Uh, so I had joined, I joined Greece in September and they, they announced their closing two weeks after I joined. Oh. <laughs> so, um, so yeah, but, uh, so the show closed the first Monday or Sunday of, of, January the following year so um that ended I the second my second Broadway show was called the people in the picture and it was a limited run it was at studio 54 with uh, Donna Murphy and that was limited and that was another very last minute thrown into the to the fray kind of show for me and then the third one which was Annie is I was in it from the beginning and so I got I had the full rehearsal process with everybody and then I chose to leave the show I'd been with the show for a year and I chose to leave because I had gotten I, I had gotten I was offered the opportunity to go to Radio City and perform with my sister so I left I left I gave my notice I gave six weeks so I you know you type up a letter and my agent and I had discussed it at the time, and it was just a financial decision at the moment to to make. And uh, it's hard. Like uh, the person, actually, that was the hardest one to leave was was Taylor, and who you spoke about earlier, because she and I just got so close. She was originally the Annie cover, and so as as a Grace cover and an Annie cover, we spent a lot of time together. And having, you know, leaving her at the end of the show, because you're, you know, it was like, yeah, let's, let's, let's hang out afterwards and can't wait to see you. And you're going, it's just never going to be the same, you know? Um, so yeah, so I gave my notice and I, and I left that production. So all on good terms, but you know, I had to leave that to go to the big, the big music hall. I was going to say, if you're going to leave one great Broadway show, it's not a bad gig to go head over to Radio City. So let's talk about uh, let's talk about your time at Radio City. It sounds did you audition and how did you end up being, as we know you, Mrs. Claus? Mrs. Claus, um, I actually was with the Radio City family for 10 years. Um, I started on the road. They had so they have two companies, two casts in New York because they do up to six shows a day and they'll split the show schedule with two casts. But on the road, they had four casts and we would do different, like there was a sit down cast that was at in Nashville at the Grand Ole Opry. There was um, for the longest time, a sit down cast in Detroit. And then there were a couple little touring casts. So I actually started, it was my first big audition when I moved to New York um, that I booked and I never looked back after, after that. It was my, that I always say that it was my survival job was Radio City, um, which is incredible to say and a little pinch me, but that was what, how I could work Radio City for three months out of the year and not have to worry about finding something during audition season, which for actors in New York is January to like May is audition season. So I could, I could just do Radio City and not have to work the rest of the year because of how lucrative that particular contract is. But yeah, so Radio City is, and then so my first audition, actually, I auditioned for the, they had singers and dancers. I auditioned as a singer and um, I, I have found out that I like got kept to the end. They measured me, they got all my details. Great. 
And then they offered me a job as a singer. And I was like, this is fantastic. Yes, I will take it. And then uh, the very end of July came around and I was getting ready to move August 1st. And that's the only reason why I know this is because they called me and they asked if I would be able to come in and audition for Mrs. Claus. And I said, oh, look, I said, I've got, I'm, I have a truck, a moving truck, and you know how moving in New York is. And you're like, I, I can't not move. I have to move. So I said, unfortunately, I can't come. If you guys are holding auditions any other day, I will come. But like, I cannot not move on August 1st. They said, that's fine. What about the second? I said, sure, that's, that's, I can do the second. Great. What do I need to bring? They said, I'll just what you wore and bring what you, what you did for the initial audition. I said, great. August 2nd rolls around. I go to Radio City. I go to stage door and the security guy goes, hi, Amanda. And I said, what? He said, hi, Amanda. You just go on up to seven or whatever it was. And I said, uh, okay. So I go through security and I go up the stairs and I see the woman who had run the auditions before. And she said, hi, Amanda. I said, and there's nobody around, which is really strange in an audition because usually there's at least 50 people that look just like you. And <laughs> she said, I said, hi, are we dancing first or singing first? And she goes, oh, just get in your dance clothes. And I said, oh, Okay. So I go to the restroom and there's nobody in the restroom. So this is an audition where there are no females in this restroom. No one's fussing with their hair or putting on makeup. So I feel very confused. So I change into my leotard and tights because I'm old school like that. And I go back out and she said, great, are you ready? I said, yeah. So I get brought into this massive studio and this audition is just for me. It's like, what is my life right now? And so there's Linda Haberman and uh, Julie Brandon and Dennis and uh, uh, Ken Lundy was at the piano. And I danced the, the dance combo by myself. They gave me some of the Mrs. Claus stuff because on the road, Mrs. Claus is a full role. She's got scenes. She's got man with a bag. She sings. They sing, what do you do in New Year's? And so they gave me all of that music to sing basically on the spot. And they had me read some of the dialogue. And they, they said, great. Do you want to do it? On the sure. spot. Basically on the spot. Mm -hmm. But uh, I, I was like, great. And so I went and changed and everybody packed up and we all rode the elevator down and we all left. It was <laughs> the biggest, the, like the, the biggest audition of my life. And I was all by myself. And so it was really strange. And even to this day, when I tell people who are in radio, who are in the Radio City family, they're just everyone's perplexed at the fact that they had this massive audition just for me. And, uh, and that was the first year. And I was with the company for 10 years after, after that. So. All right. So what's it like being Mrs. Claus at Radio City Music Hall? It, it is, um, well, first off, Charles who plays uh, Santa is fantastic and has been there forever. Um, I, I just, I love, I loved her. I think she is fun and frothy and especially during that time in the Christmas time in New York is just magical. 
And there is something about, especially going through, through all the people who are waiting in line to go to the stage door. And I'm trying to get to the stage door and going, if you don't get out of my way, you're not going to get a show. Mrs. Claus is not <laughs> going to be there. Um, but it's fun to kind of feel like you walk around with a little bit of a, a secret of magic that you're carrying around because, you know, you you get to be a part of one of the, the biggest shows in New York at the time and such an iconic show too. And, you know, most of those people, especially at the time, they had been in the show for years. And so to get to build a family year after year, you know, with, with your fellow actors and stuff, uh, just kind of created, it just, it created the magic of the season constantly for me. All right. Well, you mentioned that a Radio City contract is so lucrative. I'd love to talk a little bit about things like pay and benefits and what people can expect in the various roles, being an actor on Broadway, off Broadway, Radio City. What, uh, what kind of numbers are we looking at and what can you tell us? Well, um, because of a union job, so depending on which union, there's different tiers. And so, um, a regional, a regional summer stock gig can pay if as an equity member, it can pay anywhere between $300 a week to $1,100 a week. If you're a big name, it can, it can, you can negotiate significantly higher. Broadway minimum is ensemble is, I think it's now 2,100 a week. Uh, now keep in mind that's, you, you can't really hold another job. You're doing eight shows a week. In the ensemble, you're also rehearsing t- two days a week. So you'll do a show Tuesday night, two Wednesday, rehearse Thursday, show Thursday night, rehearse Friday, show Friday night, two Saturday and Sunday. Um, and then from that, you pay your agents and your union dues and you tip your dresser and hairdresser. And then with, with Radio City, it works on a uh, equity contracts are usually eight show weeks or yeah, eight show a week contracts. Radio City is a 12 show a week contract. And then if you, and it's based off of doing two shows a day. So if you're doing a Radio City contract and you do three shows in one day, you get regular pay the first two shows and then you get uh, time and a half for the third show. Uh, if you do four shows, you get time and a half and then double time for the third and fourth. And I've done a couple of five show days and it's just, you just make a lot of money. But the base pay for Radio City, I think the last time I worked was uh, 1500 And that's just base pay. So, um, And then if you're on the road, they, they house you. So it's just, and if you sublet your apartment in New York, you're just kind of banking that money off the side. So uh, Radio City is lucrative because of all the overtime you get. Because very rarely do you ever just do two shows. You're usually doing anywhere between three to four shows a day, but um, so you have you have the ability to be able to make a little bit more. Um, and the Rockettes are completely separate; they're on a minimum contract than the ensemble is. You know, you can make you can <laughs> as an equity member, I can make anywhere between two hundred fifty dollars to twenty two hundred dollars. Just, <laughs> just a normal range. <laughs> just yeah, just depends, and and my my skill set doesn't change. Yeah, that's what's yeah. Right. All so. right. So you have an opportunity to make really great money. It's glamorous work. I mean, being, getting to dress up and sing and dance. What would you say is the best, most rewarding part of the job? And what on the flip side is the least fun, exciting, glamorous, glittery part? 
I would say the the best part is I, I there is just something that it's like life suspends for me when I'm at the theater. It just there is something that I, I feel a purpose, and it's it's not a shiny purpose. It's just something that you know the music, getting to sing music that you love, and getting to create with and share and collaborate with people on stage or in the rehearsal. Um, to me, that is that is the shiniest part of it, even though it it's not particularly glittery. Um, I guess the glittery thing is being able to meet some really interesting celebrities or people that come to the theater. Uh, some want to want to be seen afterwards and they want to come back and meet, and some just kind of you know they just will disappear afterwards. I'll never forget doing Radio City. Paul McCartney was there, and I'm a massive Beatles fan, and. Uh, you know, you have Radio City would draw in tons of celebrities as far as in the audience, and they would always leave early because no one wanted to be, you know, inundated with photos and whatever afterwards. And that's fine; I completely understand that. But I'll never forget we did we did the Christmas show, we took our bows, and Paul McCartney stayed there towards the end. He applauded. He stood up. He he stayed after. He stayed in the house afterwards. He didn't leave the theater. He stayed in there. And made sure anyone who came out, he said, thank you to. And so there was something that was very, very eye-opening where you're going, this is one of the biggest stars on the planet to me. And he just stayed there and made sure that we, he knew that we all appreciate, uh, he was appreciative of what we did, which was cool. The, uh, the not so glamorous side is um, the fact that Everything I do when I'm in a show, everything I do in my regular life informs my show. So, you know, the way I eat, if I have to go on vocal rest, if it's a big vocally demanding show, I usually don't talk outside of the theater. It, your social life is completely nil, if, if anything. And it's a huge sacrifice. And because it's, it, you only get one day off a week. So if you... If, you know, if you if you have to do laundry and grocery shop and food prep, it's all on your one day off. So it doesn't really feel like a day off. So it can be, it can be pretty tiring. So even though I'm only physically on stage for two and a half hours, I'm, I'm at the theater an hour and a half before that. It takes me about an hour to get out of everything, and you know, the whole day leading up to it was me navigating just living a regular day in New York which is exhausting. <laughs> All right. I'm going to throw a couple uh, rapid fire questions at you. Let's do it. Do you ever get nervous? Yes. You do? Oh yeah. Oh yeah. 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 When you usually it happens before once I'm on the stage, I'm fine. But usually it's kind of like racing it, before a race. I'm my, I'm my nerves are shot, but as soon as I just start running, I'm fine. <laughs> and it's the same thing with the with the theater like you just are a show I just get really worked up and then it's like as soon as the 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 overture starts and you're like okay I'm good I'm good it's fine yeah as soon as the gun goes off and you're just yeah. running you're good but yeah, yeah that moment in the corral beforehand you yeah. have to go to the porta potty 600 times yes yeah got it yeah yeah, yeah all yeah. right when you're in a big show whether it's Radio City Greece Annie how often do people reach out to you asking for free tickets all the time. 
I had to finally just tell my mom to stop telling people that I was in it because she was like, oh, Amanda's in that show. You should go visit her after her show. And I'm like, mom, do people come to your work and want to hang out? I don't, I just, I want to go home. But yeah, free tickets or um, if I can get people, if I can, you know, oh, well, I want to meet so-and-so in the cast. Like, it's not a buffet, man. I can't, I don't, I don't, I can't, I don't have access to free tickets. I wish I did. I would pack the theater as much as I could, but that's just not an option. Well, I was going to ask, what is the deal when you're in a show? Do you get a certain number of tickets per run? Do you get discounted tickets? Are there any ticket related perks? Um, you usually get two for opening night and then, uh, and then you get access to what's called house, house seats. And the, there's not, that's not a discount to them. So the theater will always hold off a row, a couple rows of seats or a couple seats in case someone big comes to the show. Now, if you were to say, call me and say, Amanda, my mom and I want to come and see Annie when I was doing Annie. We want, you know, I want to treat my mom to the best seat that you got. We would get you house seats. It's not discount. They're usually pretty pricey, but they're not accessible to the public until within 24 hours of the show. So you have access to those. I have access to those seats. It's just not discounted, but they're the best seats in the house. Yeah. I got to see the Book of Mormon in, I saw the Book of Mormon twice. I got to see it once on opening night, which was bonkers. And then I got to take Brian... For his birthday, and we were in A1 and A2, front row balcony center. It was like, oh. yeah, I know, the good old days. Yeah. So I have access to that, but there's no discount, especially right now where there, there's so many. I mean, there's probably Box, there's TKTS, there's TDS. There's a million ways to get discounted seats. We just, as especially in the ensemble, I think people who might be bigger names, you know, and, or are the names of a show probably have access to the fancy seats. I'm just not one of them. <laughs> not yet. What not yet. In, what role in your career are you most proud of? Oh, it might come back to bite me in the ass, but uh, Campbell and bring it on. What is your dream role? I haven't created it yet. Oh, love that answer. Um, okay. And before we talk running, cause we still need to talk about running. Can you just talk a little bit about where you're at right now? What were you doing before COVID-19 became a thing and how has it, we know that it is shut down Broadway and every theater across the globe pretty much. Um, how has it directly impacted you and what you do? So I, uh, all of my auditions stopped, which is audition for future work. Um, I sing with a group called America Sweetheart, which is like a, it's an Andrew Sisters vintage trio singing group. And we had stuff lined up basically through May, which I had a bunch of trips with them scheduled that all got canceled. Um, and then as of right now, I'm quote unquote waiting to hear, I, I'm supposed to do singing in the rain at Sharon, Connecticut at Sharon Playhouse, which is a theater I go to the last two summers. And we're supposed to start rehearsals May 29th for a June, mid-June opening. And um, they haven't officially said no yet, but I'm just kind of waiting for that to, that to happen. Um, so as of right now, it's actually the calmest I think I've ever been unemployed because everyone's in the same boat. It's not as if I feel like I'm not doing the hustle like everyone else is. There's just no work. There's no work and there's no 
there's no auditions. So <laughs> it's literally just kind of waiting, okay, just waiting around for things to start opening up. And it will probably be one of the last, the last things to open up once things start, you know, coming back. Uh, the idea of people sitting in, in a closed theater is not the most enticing right now. Um, or dancing in a room with a bunch of people is, doesn't sound thrilling to me at this moment. So once everything's safe, it'll probably be one of the last things to open up. But as of right now, it is very cool. I'm supposed to sing on a cruise ship in October. Oh. So <laughs> Speaking we'll, of we'll, last things to open up, yeah. yeah. <laughs> so um, we'll see about that. Um, that's out of Australia, so it's on a different timeline. But uh, yeah, I mean, it's just, it's quiet, but there, there's, there's a piece about it that just kind of, we're all in the same, everyone in show business is in the same boat, you know, so everybody's finding different ways to be creative and find those outlets and, and collaborate in a way. For me, I'm trying to understand the digital age and my website and putting videos because I've got tons of footage of me performing. I just don't know how to put it on things. <laughs> All right. Well, anyone like, listening hey, can help. Yes, Hit her up. <laughs> yes, please. Um, well, speaking of outlets and and things we can do to fill our time, I know that um, you know it seems fitting that we're recording this together on what would have been Marathon Monday, and yeah. you you're no stranger to the Boston Marathon. So let's talk about how running fits in. How is your running right now? What did you do today in honor of uh, Marathon Monday? Marathon Monday this morning. I ran, I did a little hour run. I did a little eight miler, including the uh, challenge of Heartbreak Hill. Just did it in Harlem, Harlem Hill, and then up to the Great Oval or whatever it is up there to get the mimicry of Heartbreak Hill. And um, yeah, I wore my yellow and my Boston shirt from last year. Uh, my It was supposed to be my mother's first marathon, my first, her first. Boston Marathon and her first marathon was supposed to be this morning too. So we were going to essentially run it together, but not physically together, but we were supposed to be there. So I, you know, I FaceTimed her before I went out for my run and just came home to a big fancy breakfast and just, you know, it starts, starts training again in a couple weeks for September. <laughs> um, I like that for you, an hour run is eight miles. An hour run for me is not eight miles. Um. Sometimes it's not. I will say that. Sometimes it's not. It all depends. I had a little more pep in my step today. Um, I had, I like to run, especially when I'm not officially training. I like to run based on time because sometimes I feel really good and I can fit, I can fit in a lot of mileage in that time. And sometimes, sometimes an hour is, you know, six and a half, seven. It just all depends on the day. Depends on how I feel. But today I felt, I felt empowered. So I went for it. All right. Let's talk about how running during normal times, how running fits into your life. I feel like there was a time that you were doing like four shows a day at Radio City and running 20 milers in the morning. Is my memory serving me correctly? It, it is absolutely serving you correctly. Yeah. Yeah. I've, uh, one of the reasons I got fast was because I was supposed to do, do the New York City Marathon. And Annie wouldn't give me the matinee off. So I needed to run the marathon fast enough to where I could get to my three o'clock show. Oh my God. Um, and the thing with New York is it starts late. So um, I had, I had been training so I could run because I needed to run about like a 325 
but it needed to be very easy 325. Like I needed to just kind of coast in at 325. Um, so I was like, all right, I can do this. And I had my dresser at the time was a run as a runner as well. And she, you know, my mom was going to be in town. So we had, we had everybody kind of on standby of, you know, I'm going to, I'm going to cross the finish line. You're going to meet me at 72nd. We're going to walk down to the palace theater. You know, we made sure that no one was going to be in the shower in the dressing room. So I could at least shower before the matinee. And, uh, yeah. And I was going to have about 20, 25 minutes to spare oh my God. <laughs> um, before my show. But, uh, that was the year the, it got canceled two days before um, oh, that so was 2012. Yeah. So I didn't get to, I didn't get to test my, my limits, but it definitely <laughs> lit the fire in me being a faster and more efficient runner. So, um, yeah, I've done, I've trained for Boston. I've done a 20 miler before doing two shows of a chorus line, which is two hours of standing on your feet, um, and kicking and squatting and, and jumping. Oh my God. Yep. And then, yeah, I did, I, I, did a couple 20 milers before a four or five show day at Radio City. So I like to run in the morning. I, d I don't like to show up to the theater or a rehearsal and that be the first thing I do. I like to have, I like to kind of get, I, I've learned I, when I was auditioning for Greece, I sang the music while I was running outside it, around the loop. I was, I was singing um, worst things that I could do while running the loop of the park because I knew that if I could do it while I was running I could do it when I was nervous and so it was a way for me to kind of work on breath support and, oh my God. <laughs> and also the fact that I could remember the words while having all of these things happen in the park made me realize that I felt really confident and comfortable with the material I was going in with. So anytime I've got a really big audition, I always run in the morning and I usually go through all of the material that they, they give me and I will sing while I run. I will talk while I run and I don't care who looks at me. It doesn't matter. I but was yeah. just going to ask what, do you ever get applause? No one's ever uh, cheered for oh, me. Oh, come yet. on, New York. Not yet. So if, if, if you're in New York and you see someone running and singing that is singing relatively on pitch, that's probably me. <laughs> I was going to say, if she sounds terrible, it's me. If she sounds good, it's it is, you. It's me. It's definitely me. It's, <laughs> it's, been, a way for, it's been a way for me to, to, to process the business. It's something that makes me feel like I have some sort of control in, a, in, a, in an industry where I have very little so there's something, there's something about the structure of, of, of doing that. There's something about the endurance and the stamina. Like I can get through a 10 out of 12, which is when we're in tech rehearsals in a theater or we're in rehearsal and we start and we're, we're called from 12 o'clock to 12 o'clock. So noon to midnight, I, my stamina is, is there because I run and I will, I will usually run in the mornings before those two just, it kind of sets me up for my day. And sometimes it's just, it's just getting out and physically being out. And once I'm out for 10 minutes, I'm like, all right. And sometimes you go, no, nah, I'm out for 10 minutes. I'm just going to turn my butt back around and go back home because today's just not going to happen. And that's all right. All right. So you are, drop some numbers. What are your marathon and half marathon PRs? My marathon PR is 307 and my half is 124. Okay, so other than 
getting cast in a Broadway show and having to rush to get there in time. Any other tips or tricks for everyday mere mortals such as myself to get faster other than the motivation of having to make curtain? Um, I found that for me, it's all about uh, doable morsels. So if you're if you're trying to just like tap that glass ceiling of your pace, you throw in on a regular run, you throw in 30 seconds, a minute, 90 seconds of just something that's a little uncomfortable or a lot uncomfortable, depending on where you are in your training. And then you go back to running easy and throw that in again. And it's just, sometimes it's just being comfortable with being uncomfortable. And eventually that glass ceiling starts, it'll crack. And then the next time you go out and you try something like that again, it, you find that not only is it those, are those, those quicker paces more sustainable, they, they're not as scary. And because so much of running is mental, a lot of that feeling uncomfortable, you start to panic and you go, this is too fast for me. Well, if you're only holding it for 20 seconds, 30 seconds, wherever you are that day, the trick is to just to do it a few times, get comfortable with the idea of being uncomfortable and finish that run confident because then you're going to want to go back. You're going to want to go lace back up and you're going to want to try it again because it's not as scary. And with anything with being fast, it's all about being consistent. So to run fast, you've got to run slow. And so I find that uh, when I coach runners, which is my, my side job, is that I always tell people, if you're not running slow enough, that you can't do your really top, your, your top speeds, you're just doing a lot of mediocre, medium running. It's a lot of mediocre running, which is fine for people who just are using running as an outlet. For, but for people who want to get faster, you have to run slow so that you, so you're recovered and rested to tackle those thresholds that you, you want to start breaking those PRs or just to start feeling better. Like for me, my whole goal was just to not feel like crap. When I, you know, when I got to mile 12 of a marathon, I was tired of just completely running out of, of juice. And I thought if I can just get to the end of a marathon and feel like I ran a marathon, but not feel like I was hit by a train, I will consider that a success. And as soon as I started working on my pacing and incre and, and incorporating just those small, those small doable morsels of, of speed, then I became more confident to do those 30 seconds into a 400 or those 30 seconds into an 800 or mile repeats. You just, it, you've got to introduce it into your vocabulary at a, at a way that makes sense and is comfortable for you and is sustainable and can, that can, that allows itself to be consistent for your own training. All right. So we got that good running advice. The last thing I need from you, sum it all up. What advice do you have for anyone who has listened to this conversation and is feeling intrigued, inspired, thinking, hey, I think I want to pursue my theater dreams. What advice do you have? Uh, be brave and be honest. And it's, you know, I feel like um, be honest with yourself and be brave and, and fearless. And it doesn't mean that it's because there's nothing to be scared of. There's a lot of things to be scared of. But if you're honest with yourself, it is so much easier to stand and, and the risks that are worth taking, they're so worth being brave for. Um, and no one's ever alone. Like that's also the thing is that you can be, it's easy to be brave when you've, when you've built a security net of either people that support you or that gut instinct where you go, I know that this is what I'm supposed to do or 
you know, so be honest and be brave. I think those are my two biggest rep. And that's, that, that works with running too. I mean, ultimately, but, uh, being, being in show business, being brave, I think is, is probably the, the biggest piece of advice because it's just show business. You know, I'm not operating on anybody's vital organs, (laughs) you know, (laughs) I love it. Well, I love that. I love you. I so appreciate you taking the time today to chat with all of us. I feel like there's so much more that we can cover too. So we'll have to have you come back. But do you want to sing us off? I'm picturing people, again, such as myself, listening to this Uh episode, finishing up a run as it's ending. And maybe we want to finish our run fast. So maybe you want to sing us off with like defying gravity or confidence or like, I don't know. Do you want to do you want to like give us a couple bars here to finish our run strong? So if you care to find me, look to the western sky. There you go. As someone told me lately, I am so talented. (laughs) I'll leave the singing to you. Thank you so much for doing this. I love you so much. I can't wait for you to be back on stage where you belong. And I just wish you all the best, all the love, and all the success. Thanks. And and thanks for providing a platform. I remember reaching out to you because of your blog. And I said, I'm in the dance community. So thanks so much for combining something that I love so much. And I've chosen as my career with something that I love um, as a hobby and has taken, has created an entire family. I know you feel that way too, that running has created this family for you. So I am appreciative that you've provided a platform for for women to, to come on and talk about things that, you know, interest them or scare them and things that empower them and, uh, and inspire. So thank you, Al. All right. Well, when we can all get back together in person again, you're going to serenade all of us in real life and 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 it'll be amazing. Yes. Yay. Thank you so much for tuning in to the sixth episode of the On the Job series on the Alley on the Run show. And big thanks to Amanda for teaching us about the sparkly and serious sides of being a theater actress. Okay. Other updates and reminders. In addition to this new weekly series, remember that regular episodes of the Alley on the Run show will still be coming your way every Thursday. The best way to make sure you don't miss out on a thing is to subscribe to the show in the podcast listening app of your choice. While you're there doing that, how about leaving a rating and review for the show on iTunes or Apple Podcasts? You keep hearing me mention this. It's because I have a goal. I would love to hit 1,000 reviews by May 6th. That is coming right up. So I would love your help in getting there. It's really soon. We're like 150 away. So if 150 of you can leave reviews for the Alley on the Run show on iTunes or Apple Podcasts, I would be so grateful. And to the 850 of you who already have, thank you so, so, so much. If you do leave a review, let me know. I'd love to know. I'd love to be able to thank you. I'm Allie on the Run One on Instagram and Twitter. I'm on the Allie on the Run Facebook page. And of course, I am in the Allie on the Run Show Best Running Friends Facebook group. It's a very happy place, a wonderful, positive corner of the internet. So come and join us. We're having some fun in there. And I've got a Patreon page for you to check out. I am everywhere. I'm kind of unavoidable right now. Uh, go to patreon.com slash on the run and take a look around. You can decide to support the show financially. If that is something you're into, you'll get bonus episodes every month plus other goodies. And of course, you will always get my deepest, most heartfelt gratitude. Finally, 
let's all give it up for Tracksmith for sponsoring the On The Job series on the Alley On The Run show. Go to tracksmith.com slash on the run and use code on the run 15 for 15% off your first Tracksmith purchase. That's tracksmith.com slash on the run for 15% off. Phew, keep working hard and thanks for joining me on the run.